What's up guys, for today's guest we've got none other than the multi-talented actor, writer, director, our good friend Denzel Whitaker, as well as writer-producer John Trefi joining us to discuss their new film 5150 starring Giovanna Depo. And just to make sure everyone's caught up, Denzel has done multiple TV shows starting with Nickelodeon's All That and the Purge TV series to several films including Training Day with Denzel Washington, The Great Debaters with once again Denzel Washington, as well as a little film called Black Panther and the recent film directed by Rizza from Wu-Tang Clan called Cutthroat City, available on Netflix. We also have CEO and executive producer of 4WT Media, John Trefry, joining us. They've created multiple music videos, commercials, TV spots, and films for companies such as Warner Brothers, Netflix, and the Discovery Channel. As always, show support by liking and subscribing to the channel, and hit that notification bell for new episodes. Let's go! All right, what's up, man? What's up, guys? How you doing, fellas? Doing what's great. What's going on? Not much. I appreciate you guys taking the time to hop on and catch up with me. Uh, Denzel Whitaker and John Trefry in the house. Um, so I, I know uh, you guys just finished Fifty One Fifty, and I want to touch on that, but I just wanted to catch up a little bit on anything and anything in general, and then we can chat about Fifty One Fifty as well. One question that I did have for Denzel that what, not for me, but. Uh, people were messaging me about was um, you coming up in the industry um, and working on great debaters with one of the best actors in the world which was a similar name Denzel Washington um, and you ironically have the same name as both your co-stars Denzel Washington and Forrest Whitaker um, but what was that like watching Denzel work on set that's what somebody uh, was asking in the comments Sure, sure. So that was, you know, a very unique experience for myself. Um, again, Denzel was directing and acting in that. Right. As we talked about earlier, you know, to actually watch him uh, take on that role and responsibility during the process was amazing to me. And, you know, he's obviously had way more experience within the game. He's had you know, a world-class crew behind him that was able to basically shepherd him when he wasn't behind the camera. But what I learned from that process, um, most importantly, number one, Denzel Washington, I give all credit as a mentor, really you know, helped shepherd me behind the camera. He was the first one who really seen the curiosity within my mind, you know, told me bring a notepad every day, got me my first director's viewfinder, um, got me my first camera and really said, you know, show up every day with a notepad. I'm gonna teach you what I know, you know, come to the editing bay when you get the chance. So he really sort of opened my eye to the process of filmmaking. But one of the things that always stood out to me was watching just the two sides of his brain that needed to make the flip. So, you know, Denzel is so much of an intense um, uh, uh, guy when he's acting because he pours all of his heart and soul into the character. So, you know, a lot of times people are like, oh man, you know, you got to speak with Denzel and do all that and that. I didn't really get to do that when I worked with him. You know, he was he was in the zone. Hmm. And I hear that a lot. And so it was beautiful for me in that opportunity because he really was like a father figure behind the camera as a director. And that's who Denzel is genuinely offset. But when he's on set as an actor, I remember the first day where he actually you know, was doing the scenes in front of us. And it was a whole different Denzel who showed up. <laughs> Denzel when, when, when he got into character. And and then I realized like what it took for those two different headspaces. Because I know for me as an actor, if I have an intense scene or even a scene that is not of myself, I walk onto set as that character. Mm -hmm. You know, to, to a varying degree, I'm still, you know, very aware of what's going on, but right. you want to be locked in. So to watch that on Denzel was just, it, it was inspiring for me. And again, he sort of continuously sets the bar within my mind of, you know, what that possibility would look like for me to be both an actor and director, or at least just how to always put my best foot forward within the craft. So in, invaluable experience, I would say. Right. And it's, it's ironic that he mentored you on Great Debaters, and then he went on to mentor Chadwick Boseman on Black Panther. Well, not on Black Panther, but he basically helped usher Chadwick Boseman into, you know, the spotlight or doing what he does best um, by paying for his school and all that stuff. And then, ironically, you worked on Black Panther with Chadwick Boseman. So Denzel just kind of has his tentacles and his, his hands and everything. 
You know, crazy enough, and I don't think a lot of people really know this unless you deep dive his interviews, Denzel never really wanted to be an actor. Right. right. <laughs> he, he, he's, a, he's a sports coach. He loves sports. Mm -hmm. yep. uh, and, you know, in Mount Vernon, he was always coaching, you know, the little leagues and whatnot or his son's game. And, you know, he's heavily invested within the Boys and Girls Club of America. Mm -hmm. So, like, yep. that is Denzel. He is kind of like the mentor to everyone you know he's right. very fatherly in that approach um so you know i myself again i've just been blessed enough to to have that uh come into my life he's done it for chadwick he's done it for amari harwick he's done mm -hmm. it for you know a plethora of other cats even his son you know john david it's not like he just gave him a direct lane obviously that is his child but at the same time too john david had to work for all of his yep. you know what i mean so uh, Denzel is that type of guy. He just loves to give back. He loves to see, you know, the youth really excelling and, and rising to the occasion. So, you know, my hat goes off to him, man. You know, just uh, just an incredible human being and an incredible artist and, and you know, very grateful to even have that experience. Right. Yeah, he's, he's an incredible person behind the scenes and on, on camera, but more behind the scenes. One of the main things with 5150 that I did want to touch on real quick is... Uh, filming it during a pandemic <laughs> and what are, do you have any do you have any stories going on with that either one you have a story during filming especially writing directing producing you guys are doing the whole the whole thing um i know when we did a film one time uh something always happens there's always something that happens like it never it never goes smoothly i had my makeup artist didn't show up for like two hours so like a lot of my actors weren't in makeup for the first shots um, one of my gaffers or whatever didn't show up, uh, so you're shorthanded and you just have to figure out how to do damage control. Um, did everything go smoothly or did you guys have any hiccups? Ooh, John, you want to answer this? <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, you know, it was crazy, Nick, honestly, uh, just doing, as you as you know, I mean, doing a, a producing is hard enough, um, but for Denzel and I, we were... You know, we we're asking people to come out during like the height of the pandemic in June of 2020 uh, to film with us for 5150. And um, we were really grateful that we had done so much work in advance um, before the actual production days um, because the added complexity, you know, um, we never could have expected. And so I think just doing all that work on the front end and making sure, you know, we had to have like a COVID safety plan. We had to have a COVID safety officer. We had to have mandatory um, testing for every single cast and crew member. We had to have PPE on set. And um, I'll tell you the um, something a lot of people don't know, which is the um, <clears throat> one of the, the most nail biting aspects of filming during the pandemic was um, we got uh, SAG clearance from the Screen Actors Guild, um, which was really uh, a lot of work. Um, and we were one of the first projects to actually get that. But something a lot of people don't know is that um, with the City of Commerce, where, we, where our studio was, and we were filming the majority of the production, um, they were really like, we don't know if we're gonna issue you, you guys a permit. And it was literally like, two days before our start date that we got Whoa. our permit to holy film crap. from the city of commerce Whoa, holy crap <laughs> yeah it was a lot but you know um i think you know testament to you know denzel the rest of the team everybody was just you know very prepared um and we didn't have any incidents you know on set i think like the most kind of eventful thing was you know d's mom bringing you know lunch um you know throughout the day but that was you know that was kind of the most action we had outside of you know just making our thing did she bring you guys those smoothies that she's famous for <laughs> oh no 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 she didn't bring smoothies she brought like custom-made sushi and and chinese chicken i think it was chinese chicken salads at one point there was like fresh cut fruit everything you know how moms get down she goes yeah. all out she went all she out won. yeah she yeah, knows how to take care of people for sure I mean, just to just to back up what John was saying, like we really had an amazing world class rock star crew. So yeah. no, we didn't have anybody, you know, thank God show up late or 
you know, our actors one time, everybody was just, you know, a class act. And I think there's a, there's a testament to that, that we were all in the house. So everybody was really excited to work, you know, to be able to bring their skill set back to something that they love, which is right. filmmaking. At the same time, too, uh, John, myself, you know, the entire uh, production team or producer team, we were all very thorough beforehand in choosing who our crew members were going to be, who the different people we wanted to work with. So, you know, by that vetting process that we took early on, we knew that we could at least trust them safety wise. So by the time we got on set, everything, it was just kind of like Lego pieces falling into place. You know, we really um, had a very smooth shoot. Hmm. No hiccups, surprisingly, which was which was wonderful. Oh, that's good then. Yeah. So, oh, that's good then. I, I expected the worst, the worst, the worst. But, I mean, that scary <laughs> part. That scary part from what John was saying sounds like just the permits alone, the the, the red tape <laughs> that you got to jump through. That sounds like the worst part of it. But yeah. luckily, you guys were able to come through with it. Yeah, and I think you know we're all still figuring out how to do production in a COVID world. Um, you know, we were one of the first that we know of, um, certainly for like all of our cast and crew, we were, we were the first mm. and, um, you know, it just, I think it just, you know, um, we, you know, we, we couldn't have expected how, um, I would say kind of like, you know, um, high the frequency was if that makes sense and just how um <clears throat> to denzel's point everybody was like really excited to come back to work but then i think this project in particular people just really felt in their hearts you know and it was something that people were really like willing to just go 150 percent for um and you know the outcome and the result like we couldn't we couldn't be more happy with right yeah it came out really well you guys did a fantastic job and i want to get into more detail about that um because it just looks so good and it, you would never know that there was a pandemic going on with the finished product so uh, hats off to you guys for pulling it off um for denzel real quick um what was it like being back in the director's seat man because i know you've done it before so how did it feel getting back in there um this time around was very special. Um, and I'd say that because, you know, just to give a little bit of window and context to the audience out there, 5150, the first draft that I had written personally was back in 2016. And that was a much longer, you know, 30 page draft um, where I was just sort of flushing out characters and concepts. And so uh, John and I worked together on a project called Will the Machine. Yeah. That's where we met. John was producing um, that project and his production company, 4WT Media, was putting it together. So we end up, you know, just really having similar interests, really bonding very quickly. Um, same sentiment. So John and I, you know, I put it on his desk and he uh, was really excited about the idea and really, you know, wanted to champion it. So he got behind 5150 and we started working together um, in a co-writing, you know, sort of aspect just massaging it, tweaking it, trimming everything that needed to be done. So to circle back to your question, you know, starting something in 2016, being able to have the privilege and the opportunity and the blessing to do it in 2020, knowing that I had spent the years prior doing a lot of music videos, you know, small time ads, different things like that. This was me jumping back into the narrative space. Mm -hmm. I went up, produced uh, narrative projects for other friends of mine, um, but when I was showcasing my reel, they were like, oh, well, are you a music video director? Do you do ads? You know, and that wasn't really what I wanted on my name because, you know, unfortunately within this business, when you get, you know, really nice at something, they like to immediately put you in a box. And that's one of the themes that we even talk about in 5150 is just like, especially as a, a as an artist of color, per se, you know, as a, as a minority, um, you get put in those boxes a lot quicker. You know, you're not you're not allowed to expand to different disciplines. So 5150, I would like to say, is like a, a reemergence of myself, especially as a director. And in many ways, it was almost like my first time directing again, I would like to say, because, you know, now when we showcase 5150, people are like, oh, my God, you know, we never knew. And it was like, no, you didn't see the 
years beforehand, but unfortunately, a lot of times within diff different people's artistries, they never see the years beforehand. They only right. see the tip of the iceberg, not the actual iceberg beneath it. Right. It's just like yeah. starting a business. It's just like creating a business. Yeah. They never so see the back work and then all the legwork you put into to getting to where you're at. No, no. And, and again, you know, I'm just very grateful um, mm -hmm. for the opportunity to be able to do this. And right. and I think, you know, just to answer like a, a another short question that, you know, people have been asking me, they're always like, well, why didn't you act in 5150? You know, uh, why didn't you take on the role of Celeste? Direct and, and act? People, yeah, direct and act. And for me, you know, I wanted the project I wanted to give the grace and the attention and all of the uh, everything that the project deserved. I wanted, you know, to live throughout the project, not myself to be self-serving and to step on, you know, both sides of the camera. So I didn't want the project to suffer. You know what I mean? Um, and that was the thing like this. This is uh, something for myself as a director. This is something for John and I both as writers. Uh, this is something for both of us, you know, as um, filmmakers who can make, you know, great narrative content. Um, so, you know, we wanted to put those intentions forward and let the project speak for itself. Right. And 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 when you guys worked on Will the Machine too, which Will the Machine came out really well as well. Um, but it felt good for you to get back to that director's chair because um, the other one that you directed before, um, uh, what was it called? The other film, I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head. Right before that, I did Jump and I did Pretty Girl, uh, which was a, it was like a short film, like a music video uh, type short film. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah, it was one of before that, Criminal Operation CTF. It so. might have been Criminal, yeah, yeah. It might have been Criminal, yeah. I think is what I was thinking about. Um, but that's good. That it, it's not that it can't be done. It's not like you can't direct and act, but it's good to, I appreciate that you actually wanted to focus the story and, and hone in on one thing instead of doing two things. Possibly I mean, I get it. Look, look, I get it, you know, and there are people who could definitely do it um, and all credit to them, you know, maybe right. down the line, maybe somewhere in my pathway. But, you know, I just feel like I want to treat the utmost respect to the disciplines, you know, and the mastery of it as other people would. You know, if David Fincher is behind the camera and, you know, he's doing what he does best, he puts mm -hmm. the actors in front of the camera to do what they do best. You know what I mean? And it, it's a time management thing. It's an artistry. It's an artistry thing. You know, you just want to have the ultimate respect for the craft. Um, and for me personally, again, it was it was something that I wanted to be disciplined about because I knew how the world would now see me in a different light versus how they were seeing me before. Right. It's funny that you brought up um, David Fitch, that's my favorite director, as far as his style goes. He's on my list, he's number one on my list, and, and then there's multiple others, but um, Steve McQueen's one of my other favorites as well. Um, his long shots and, and wide shots are phenomenal. Um, speaking of that, I, I did want to touch on this later, so I might as well talk about it now, but the, the look and style of the film 5150 that you guys did, it just looks great. Like I said, it's so polished and so so well done. You would never know it was done during a pandemic. Um, and then a lot of that is credit to you because you're the director. But who was your DP on that as well? Because you guys meshed very well. And your shots are just so clean and so good looking. Was it the, the cinematographer with Chris, Christina? Christina Dunlap? Yeah, Christina Dunlap. Exactly, and yeah. She, she did such a good job. Oh, my God. I mean, we, listen, again, I would say this much, brother, uh, any credit that I take as a director, I also have to give to my team respectfully right. because, you know, this is a collaborative effort. Right. And I think it's sometimes, you know, you get uh, certain ideas in your head and then certain ideas that your teammate might have. And, you know, a lot of people say like, oh, as a director, you're kind of in charge. Well, no, not necessarily. It's more so just being uh, disciplined and also being a diplomat to the people that you entrust so we could creatively put our ideas together. And no more than that, maybe I'm just a, a vessel or a conduit just receiving the ideas and putting them together. Mm -hmm. So like, I'd say all that to say like our DP, uh, Christina Dunlap, incredible. She just has such a beautiful vision. Um, as soon as we interviewed her, you know, I seen her materials, her reel and whatnot. I just knew that she would be somebody um, 
who you know we could get behind and, and who was going to really bring this to the forefront um for me and john personally we wanted to make sure you know somebody who knew how to light black skin um yeah. who knew to expose for black skin correctly and that was the thing like christina uh comes from the music video world as well as narrative so she's worked with the likes of lizzo um and a couple other uh notable figures who again are prominent black entertainers and so once i seen that within her resume i was like oh my god it's, it's beautiful <laughs> had like a whole layout that she brought to the table um our production uh designer frankie uh francesca palumbo she was incredible with designing the space mm -hmm. i mean like i say within the within the final hour it was a decision to make the room gray instead of white like a traditional facility just so we could get the look and feel that we wanted and then you know our partners over at canon they um end up sponsoring us with the canon uh c500 mark ii is that correct john that's right with uh, the sumi ray yeah. lenses with the sumi ray lenses so again you know our team um just really helped to dial in that look you know dial it in what was you know the vision that i myself or john and us collectively had together so again i can't take all credit for that um i would be a fool to take all credit for that <laughs> you know outside of that there was definitely you know shot selections that i wanted to bring to the table different inspirations that i have but it's a team thing man yeah definitely i mean yeah, yeah it always is oh go ahead john and i just i just wanted to uh also piggyback on that nick and say mm -hmm. that <clears throat> uh francesca palumbo um <clears throat> our production designer really um for folks out there who may uh have seen 5150 or you know are interested in it um you know hats off to her because what she did with the resources that she had at her disposal i mean are just incredible that whole um uh clinical space that that you see um that the majority of the film takes place in was a standing set it was actually built uh, purpose-built and and actually created from a 3d rendering and design and so for us and especially for denzel to have that kind of like um tool um sort of like tools to to create mm -hmm. uh for something at this scale um really credit goes to frankie and her team because when we you know met with her and we met with other production designers as well you know we we were we had a very ambitious idea of what we wanted this to be and um you know very um challenging to pull that off you know to even build a set for a short film you know where your your budget is always a constraint um you know i've never actually done that i've always used practical locations for you know uh short films and so to be able to do that for this project was um i mean just like i think next level for for all of us um and and again like really got to give flowers to to frankie and her team for for uh helping us achieve that okay so yeah because that way you're not using an actual practical location where you can move a wall if you need to move a wall and slide the camera through and, and adjust little things and, and it's all um tweaked to your to your liking so that's probably why mm -hmm. it, it came out so well on top of that but yeah the production design the cinematographer the even down to the gaffers like the, the sound department everybody did such a great job with you guys um at the helm uh even to, you know post-production your editors and the, and the sound department there and the colorists everybody did such an amazing job because it just came out so polished yeah, and I do want to just quickly shine a light on on some of those folks. Um, David Marks was our editor. Um, keep an eye out for his forthcoming film, The Night House, uh, which was a big um, acquisition coming out of Sundance. Um, and David is somebody who's you know extremely accomplished. He he cut um, the last the uh, last black band in San Francisco. So for him to come on and do you know fifty one fifty was a dream for us. Um, but again, to Denzel's point, we just set the bar really, really high for every single person, every single role. Um, and then in terms of, of post sound, um, our friends over at Formosa Group, um, Trevor Gates, uh, supervising sound editor, um, Emmy winner for his work with Donald Glover and Hero Mariah on Atlanta. 
also worked on um, a little movie called Get Out with Jordan Peele. Um, you know, and, and Trevor's, you know, a friend. We've um, I've, I've known him for a number of years, but um, he really wanted to collaborate with Denzel, myself and the team because he just, he saw the vision, he believed in us. It's not like we had a ton of money, you know, um, for any of these folks, um, but that's, you know, I think the testament to the passion, you know, Denzel has his director and then for us as a team and, um, and then similarly with color, you know, we, we worked with company three, um, Jill Bogdanovitz was our colorist. Um, she did, um, Joker. Um, so, you know, I mean, you couldn't ask for better partners on the post side of things. And I think it just, you know, for us, it was also a big education. You know, we had done, uh, actually we had done, um, color with company three previously with will the machine, but we had worked with their theatrical um department and then we worked for with their tv and their episodic department totally different different workflows you know and just you know for us as creators being able to learn about you know the post end you know hey here's how you deliver for television we're, we're gonna treat this short film like an episode of tv and so it was really technical very you know in the weeds for us but um you know, we learned a huge amount and, you know, a lot of gratitude and credit to, you know, Company 3, Formosa Group, you know, David Marks, also uh, Chicken Bone um, FX. Um, they were our, our visual effects partners. Um, you may have seen their work in uh, Queen's Gambit on Netflix. Um, again, you know, um, their team really just got behind us, got behind the vision. Um, <clears throat> not because we had a huge budget, but because, um, we were really, really passionate. And, and, uh, so, you know, the, the post-production team was stacked. Look at, look at John, the producer over here. <laughs> He's got the list. He just has it all in his head. That's how good he is. <laughs> he knows oh, everybody by heart. Wow. it's amazing. That is amazing. Yeah, there we go. So it's better now. I think we should we yeah. to reconnect something, reset. A little, right, little refresh. Well, yeah, a little refresh. A little refresh rate. Yeah. <laughs> Man, well, like I was saying, John is such an awesome producer. He just knows all that stuff off the top of his head. Um, Thank you. But to circle back to what me and Dennis were talking about, too, as far as um, nobody sees the, the behind-the-scenes stuff and the stuff that you do beforehand. It's just like building a business. Um, then nobody sees all that hard work you put in. Uh, they only see the finished product, um, which that kind of reminds me also of John and how he started 4WT Media, because um, you bootstrapped that from the ground up, right? And you, and you started your own business and created that. Mm -hmm. How was that process? Because we created a business as well. I've created two businesses, two brick and mortars now, and nobody knows you know, how I took a whole year, literally a whole year to create and plan everything out from the blueprints we we did a build out from gravel poured concrete i mean we i measured the furniture so i knew exactly where it would fit and, and everything fits perfectly the brand the website like everything is is on there um, and i did that for about a whole year before we actually committed and launched the actual brick and mortar um, so how was 4wt for you because i know we're 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 more of a service industry um, and, I, and 4WT obviously is, is more of a, a you know media production company. Um, but how was it for you starting that that company? Yeah, um, you know it's interesting, um, Nick. And I apologize, I got you know uh, low bit rate here. I'm actually um, dialing in from um, remote. I'm I'm in Ohio visiting are family. You, are you in a dungeon? Do you, do I you am. Have, yeah. Just wink, 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 wink twice if we need to come rescue you. <laughs> Does Kanye have you hostage? <laughs> I, 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 I'm literally, ch I'm literally chained to the radiator over here. So, Man, where's, where's uh, uh, where's Kanye's little plantation floors? His place at? It's in uh, Wyoming. Wyoming. Yeah, Wyoming. Yeah. Are you sure? Are you sure you're not in Wyoming, John? <laughs> Kanye got you in his basement. Yeah, hey man, they they you know is a they have a, a big reach. So, um, <laughs> but um, you know, in terms of the business, um, you know, question Nick, um, 
you know, I, I started 4WT in, in 2012, um, fully bootstrapped, um, no outside investors. And, um, you know, really, it's it's been an incredible um, education for me, um, what it means to be an entrepreneur, what it means to be an employer, to have uh, staff, you know, and full-time employees who, who count on you for, you know, their livelihoods. And so, um, the the experience of running that business and largely doing commercial and branded content for the majority of, of that uh, time um, has really just sharpened my sword. It's it's given me a, a huge amount of um, experience dealing you know directly with with um, brands and um, you know executives as well as talent and um, that I think just makes me a better filmmaker and a better producer. And what's what's been really exciting um, over this last year is that, you know, with the slowdown in, you know, production and our, our industry overall, um, I really took it as a chance to pivot for WT Media, my business, and focus um, really primarily on original content. Um, and the reason for that, Nick, is is just because, you know, as a storyteller, that's where my passion lies. And I've been working with, you know, clients like Netflix and Google over the past nine years to, you know, help them sell product and, you know, connect with customers and promote their shows and movies and whatnot. But um, I, you know, am a storyteller as well. And that's what, you know, Denzel and I share. And that's what we are really passionate about. So all the things that I've learned over the course of, you know, building my business and you know, hearing you talk about building out your brick and mortar definitely resonates uh, with me. I've had five commercial um, real estate um, spaces in Los Angeles over the course of my business and, you know, have done build outs, tenant improvements, and um, it's a lot of work. And, you know, all of that has led me to, you know, this moment where, you know, Denzel and I have, have you know, this new thing which is almost a business onto itself you know having a property like 5150 is very much you know um, we went out we raised money from investors you know we had to interview and hire um, team members and employees like Christina uh, like Frankie um, and the, some of the other folks we mentioned and all of those skills that I've been honing um, for other people's, you know, brands and, and sell other people's products. Now I'm just like, I couldn't be more excited. I couldn't be more grateful that I'm just able to unleash that full force, you know, arm in arm with my brother, you know, D here. Yeah, definitely. Well, it shows for sure. Cause you guys had done a fantastic job with it. Um, speaking of Netflix and working with other companies, heard through the grapevine maybe word on the street is that you guys possibly make this into like an episodic thing um which i think would be the route would be a phenomenal route because binge watching is what people love to do and i could see 5150 being like a, a longer feature um and then you guys just break it down into episodes six seven episodes what are you guys thinking about doing in the in the future with that so I mean, 5150, kind of exactly how you said, we uh, we always knew from the jump that this story could expand. You know, even as we were dialing in the short film and figuring out exactly how we wanted to tell celeb stories, there's just so much nuance uh, and so much source material here that just exists within the zeitgeist of, of pop culture and celebrity fandom. And so, you know, we felt it would be a disservice just to do, you know, an hour and a half, two hour film. You know, we felt that wasn't enough to really adequately kind of tell uh, Celeb's arc in terms of, you know, where he started even prior to him being this famous celebrity. What was his humble roots? You know, where do we sort of meet him kind of in the pilot where he's full narcissism, you know, full uh, celebrity that he commands. And then what is that journey afterwards? So uh, John and myself and the team you know, we envision 5150 to live on as a television series, you know, uh, an eight episode hour long drama, uh, at least for the first season is what we have envisioned where we could really, again, trace back to what made Celeb Celeb, you know, for the people who really love him, for his fans, you know, where is the charisma and the charm that we're sort of missing a little bit in the pilot? 
you know, who was this humble cat who moved out to LA from Ohio? You know, what was his life like beforehand? What were the trials and tribulations that he suffered in order to, you know, get to the level of the narcissism and get to the level of the fame that we meet him at and get to the level of the conflict uh, that he's now suffering externally and internally? You know, there's different things uh, that we want to put into place and we want to really explore his mental health. Um, we really challenge celebs mental health, but then also uh, put a microscope or I'm sorry, a magnifying glass on black mental health and just mental health in general, especially um, from celebrities, especially from, you know, the masses and then possibly mirror that with somebody else who's suffering and sort of compare and contrast and see that this isn't just like a celebrity thing. This isn't just like, you know, the one percenter type thing. This is something that everybody's going through. Um, and we really just need to raise that conversation. And that's kind of where we're at now. We're developing it. And I'll let John sort of speak a little bit to, to some of the extra bits. Yeah, well, we're um, <clears throat> we were really excited, Nick, to be featured uh, with 5150 at the Tribeca Creators Market right. um, this year. Um, it was actually a really cool experience. Denzel and I, you know, first travel in over a year <clears throat> being in New York but um amazing experience to have the project um get in front of executives and and uh you know producers managers um and and we heard great uh feedback you know really good um you know initial reaction from the short but then also you know to denzel's point we we've written a, a feature or excuse me a pilot episode for the series um, and then, and how uh, you know we we proceed from here. We're just we're just really really excited about um, because not a lot of people do this you know um, short to series pathway that we're doing, and it, it actually goes back to you know Will the Machine. It goes back to other short films that I've done like How to Be Alone, um, Stucco, and Souls of Totality. Um, all of which, you know, have have really found audiences um, worldwide, um, but they're short films. And so our idea with 5150 was, you know, hey, um, you know, we're passionate about making stuff. Um, we obviously see this as a bigger story, like like D said, um, but we are, you know, limited in our, you know, um, you know, in our um body of work shall we say you know denzel is more known as an actor i'm more known as a producer but more on the branded side and so for us we needed to really showcase that as creators and especially as writers that we had the chops mm -hmm. to really do this thing as a series and so that's how we decided to do the short film you know we we went uh through kickstarter we you know um, had an incredible run and campaign with you know folks from all over the world uh, backing this project, mm -hmm. and um, and you know we then have partnered with um, an amazing uh, distribution company called Argo, where you can see 5150 right now, and um, <clears throat> we're also releasing um, with short of the week and director's notes and some others as well. And the idea being that we want audiences everywhere to be able to experience this world, you know, this this these characters, especially celeb, our protagonist, and we we want that to help, you know, really push the uh, the rock up the hill, so to speak, mm -hmm. of how we get to the next step and bring this actually to a larger canvas, you know, with the eight episode series, as Denzel mentioned. So we really think that by doing the short film and um, not just as like a, you know, proof of concept that only like the studios or the networks would see, but mm -hmm. that we would actually release, you know, two fans and two audiences. Um, and we think by doing that, people are going to get excited. They're going to want to, you know, support us as we bring this, you know, to life and you know um just build that kind of buzz build that interest um so that's where we are currently and um you know so far the reaction and the reception publicly with the release on argo has been incredible and um you know we've just been hearing from from folks all over the world that they're really excited about this work 
Awesome. Yeah, it was interesting that you brought up the uh, uh, film festival, uh, Tribeca. Mm -hmm. I, I saw that you guys went down there and it was awesome that it was at the Tribeca Film Festival because me and Denzel, when we did a uh, YouTube video, a YouTube mm -hmm. video, it, it uh, won the award for Tribeca and we were all excited and womp womp, everybody was on house arrest so we couldn't go. Right. <laughs> so right. I'm glad you guys at least got to go. Huh? We couldn't celebrate like we wanted to. No, we couldn't. No. Yeah. I mean, we celebrated at home, but it's not the same. Yeah. You have to be in New York for that, for Tribeca. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But yeah, it's interesting with 5150 that uh, you touched on that, Denzel, with the um, mental health awareness that it raises, um, especially with Celeb, played by uh, Giovanna Depo. Um, and that it doesn't matter if you're a celebrity or not, you know, you don't have to be a celebrity to have mental health issues, especially in the black community. So it's cool that it raises awareness of that. Uh, it's, it's funny that you you guys wrote this and worked on it since two years ago three years ago 2016 you know a long time i, I could i could do the math but uh 2016 and um it's releasing now which the timing couldn't have been more perfect because i remember a couple months ago or last year the whole kim and kanye thing was going on and and then it's uh the headline was Kanye said that Kim tried to 5150 him and I was like oh crap I'd like heard <laughs> that's the first person I messaged was Dez I was like dude 5150 <laughs> they're talking because I honestly had no idea what 5150 even was until Denzel uh, spoke about it and told me that he was writing it and he explained I mean, what 5150 meant you know what Nick um and again you know obviously there have been some drawn uh coincidences and parallels to say for so Kanye Kim that that we've received and you know Kanye is only just a, a, a small sliver of this you know we really look to celebrities like Whitney Houston we look to celebrities right. like uh, Spears and you know Colin Kaepernick you know across the gambit uh, Tom Cruise but in particular what I could say to that is like there's a divinity to this mm. project you know um, it's like just just receiving an idea and just being very passionate about it um knowing that this is a subject that needs to be talked about mm -hmm. and so the timing to yourself just like everybody else says it's like wow what a coincidence you know john and i have been sitting back watching this whole thing play out like <laughs> you know we're, we're thankful more than thankful for the time and the pathway and how it's all aligning but you know it's not like we have a, a crystal ball in our back room and we're just plotting it out uh, right no. of course no, we, we just, you know, these were subjects that we were extremely passionate about and we knew it was time to have the conversation. So, you know, as we were filming, uh, when we were in production during the height of the BLM movement, you know, and there were some topics that Celeb is talking about in the beginning about, you know, black, uh, the black community being stifled, you know, by oppressive powers of the, you know, American traditional system. It was like, we couldn't have planned that. You know, we couldn't have planned how this mirrors a Kim and Kanye's relationship or whatnot. But it's interesting that we're having the conversation now and it means that we need to start having the conversation if we're also seeing how it matches up within the news and pop culture. That means it's time for us to actually explore and crack these subjects open. So again, there's this divinity that John or I or nobody could have planned, you know, no more than vessels receiving from God. And it's like, okay, well, let's go to work. Right. And you're not hoping that that happens either. You're not like, yes, there's a new headline for 5150 or, you know, Kanye's getting locked up. You're not hoping for any of that. No, we're not out here. Be... Yeah, we're not chasing trends. That's not right. the point. That's not why we do what we love. Right. Uh, we really are passionate about this story. You right. know what I mean? And, and, you know, sometimes you hit, sometimes you might cut a record. And then that record is perfect just because, you know, people are wearing the flashy red jackets. Okay, you know it's a cool summer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, it, it's, it's a deep reference, but that's what I'm saying. Like, you right. can't plan things for that. Sometimes it's your time. And when it's your time, you know, you get out of the way and you don't you don't hinder your own process. Don't let your ego mess up the timing of what's supposed to happen. You know, I want to just quickly um, build on, you know, this this idea of like art imitating life, life imitating art. And, um, you know, as, as Denzel points out, you know, we certainly, you know, had started this long before um, 
you know, what happened last year with, with George Floyd and a lot of awareness around BLM. And then uh, similarly, you know, I would also just, you know, draw some distinctions. We, we do, you know, uh, you know, have been inspired by, by Kanye West, you know, as, a, as an inspiration for the, the protagonist. However, you know, we're, we're very much interested in this story being fictional. And this mm -hmm. is not a. This is not about Kanye West. It's not meant to be a mirror of his, in any way. It's. It's. We're inspired by the the way that cancel culture is obsessed with seeing people be torn down, and how we put these pressures on public figures, and especially black celebrities in particular, that then, you know, have, you know extremely detrimental effects on people's mental health and their own well-being and so you know our character is very much our protagonist celeb is very much an anti-hero you know he we we draw inspiration from you know um uh characters like walter white or tony soprano who are you know flawed and we as audiences are still drawn toward them and you know they're magnetic um because they're charismatic but um ultimately they're not necessarily good people and mm -hmm. so that's <clears throat> that we thought that that was very interesting for um celeb you know we didn't want it to just be a black and white thing um you know no pun intended of like how <clears throat> you know um people would see this character and how audiences would you know, either, um, <clears throat> you know, align with him and, and say he's a he's a victim. He's being oppressed by, you know, um, the studio. He's being oppressed by, you know, media, cancel culture versus, um, you know, recognizing his own narcissism, his own deep, flawed demons that then he is you know, unleashing on the people around him um, and, and, you know, the public as well. You know, we actually, Nick, were interested to explore both of those things, mm. like at the same time. So Celeb on the one hand is this flawed character. He is a narcissist. He's somebody who's totally, you know, self-important. And then simultaneously, he's also you know, a victim and he's also being oppressed by the same, you know, systemic um, frameworks that have exist, you know, not not just for, you know, black celebrities, but black people, you know, for hundreds of years. Hmm. And so both of those things can be true at the same time. And, and that's also, again, why we think that this is a series, because there's so much to unpack there and you know we can't wait for audiences to see where we go how deep we go mm. with celeb and you know some of the things like denzel was hinting at we don't want to give too much away but you know what are the what are the things that happen early on in this character's life that then shape him you know to be this this you know huge global celebrity but also somebody who is you know very toxic at the same time so that's you know that's the exploration that we're doing and um you know we we want audiences to to be challenged and not just you know be like you know you know like oh you know he he is he is one way or another no it's 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 very nuanced it's it's shades of gray mm -hmm. rather than you know real black and white right. and real quick speaking to that something that we've realized even within you know our test screenings and now you know the screenings of the short film is like depending on the audience member and depending on each audience's particular background <laughs> when you ask the question is celeb you know crazy is he sort of you know losing it a little bit mentally is he unstable or is there validity to his claims it's mixed answers and that's kind of the beautiful shades of gray that john and i are talking about is like there could be truth to some of the things that he expels about feeling like a black man and feeling like the plight of being a black man in America and feeling oppressed. And at the same time, too, he could be extremely radical and he could be, you know, spewing certain remarks that put him in a negative light. Or maybe he is just losing his train of thought. 
and then there's somewhere in the middle of that where maybe as an exceptional artist um i was listening to a podcast the other day uh you know notable podcaster out there and he was just basically talking about how some artists uh their brains are sometimes working at a higher frequency and sometimes people mistake that for autism or you know sometimes being on the spectrum not to say they are you know what i mean this this is no misconception of that but it's like in a certain point in time like we're still trying to understand humanity and we're still trying to understand you know people as a whole you know we don't fully know who we are so then you know where does celeb necessarily fall within this like what is his mental instability you know what are the things that are sort of triggering him traumatically from the past are there is there validity to some of his claims like that's the nuance that john and i are constantly seeking it's almost like the uh floyd mayweather syndrome kind of thing like as much yeah. as people talk trash about floyd mayweather they hate floyd mayweather and what he projects because he's playing this villain character you know um yeah it doesn't matter how much you dislike somebody's personality or what they're projecting you don't really know them so like to to spew all this stuff on them and treat them a certain way just because you don't like somebody it just doesn't it doesn't make them any less of a great boxer you know mm -hmm. and same with celeb it doesn't make him any more of a or any less of a, a an artist um but to treat somebody that way just because that's what they project or that's if you don't like them it's just yeah it, it's the cancel culture has gotten worse too <laughs> it's gotten phenomenal you know, a um a celebrity that we often talk about is lebron and celeb is yeah i was gonna bring that much, up you know celeb is like the anti-lebron he's like you know if if lebron was like the dark side and he was like a sith lord you know like that's that's kind of like how celeb maybe you could imagine him because you know we we as part of the nuance that you know that we've mentioned part of that as well is exploring what is the role of a celebrity now mm. and especially what is the role of a black celebrity now because you know this idea of you know colin kaepernick or lebron um, notable, you know, black athletes who are speaking out about, you know, um, uh, you know, some of the systemic um, inequity that that black people face. Um, you know, what does that mean? You know, what does that mean for you know all black celebrities or all celebrities for that matter? What is your role in terms of social issues and not just like you know shut up and dribble or shut up yeah. and act? Yeah. but to actually have a voice or a seat at the table you know as it pertains to you know politics or you know what's going on more kind of broadly in our society so that's part of what we're looking at as well that's part of what's important about this story is that it's turning the lens on us you know as viewers as mm -hmm. consumers and audiences ourselves and you know asking you know hey what what actually are your expectations that you project onto a celebrity and you know uh you know similarly what what are the sort of things that celebrities maybe you know should just know that are part of the 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 bag now you know like if you are you know a black celebrity like you can't not have an opinion about certain things like voter suppression for example like no if you're if you're if you have a platform you're somebody who has an audience like there's certain things that you know your audience will expect you to have a position on and expect mm -hmm. you to actually say something meaningful about that it's funny that you brought up lebron because i was literally going to touch on that too i don't know if you guys saw the little clip about the, i think he was at the usher concert or something and he's like walking towards backstage and some fan like jumps in front of him in his path and he just kind of stiff arms him <laughs> just a straight stiff arm and kind of shoves the guy back and the security you know is like, like building a wall and blocking the guy and yeah. i saw the i saw the headline first of all obviously the headline if that's all you read shame on you uh, and so I, I go into it and I so I watch the clip and I'm like that's it that's what happened <laughs> why are we talking about this and then the first comment that I saw because I don't know why I went down in the comments just to see what other people's opinions were and the first one I saw was 
That's assault right there. <laughs> I said, bruv, <laughs> you've never been punched in the face. <laughs> like, you've never been punched in the face. If you think that's assault, and then the second comment was obviously, uh, you know, dude's jumping in his path and, and, and peeing his space, you know? Like, you're putting yourself in a position. And that's that's the way I viewed it. I saw it. I'm like, dude, he's just getting dude out of his way when he's already on a path. You don't just jump in somebody's way and then and then you know what? What's the how's the saying go? My fist ends at your nose or whatever. Like the, your your reach. Like you can't if you go in somebody's bubble. Basically, I forget how the saying is. I'm I'm butchering the saying, but yeah, you, my hand or my fist ends at at your nose or whatever. So basically, as long as I don't hit you, like I'm. I'm not. So this dude's like impeding LeBron's space, and LeBron just stiff arms him. <laughs> I, I found nothing wrong with it. I thought it was yeah. hilarious. No, it's it's so interesting that you bring that up because you know we we um, explore this idea of you know this sort of TMZ you know soundbite you know yeah. social yeah culture in fifty one fifty because you know for that example that you referenced, Nick, you know it's literally I think maybe like five seconds or something like that that you see you also don't see what happened before that you know mm -hmm. and you don't necessarily mm -hmm. know what the context is like you know we do know that lebron was with his family right and you know he was in a public space and it's like you know hey was this guy like literally like pressing up on you know lebron's loved right. ones right. and like did he provoke something we don't know that but I think to your point, it's all about clickbait. It's all about, you know, being like, ah, got you, LeBron. Got him. You know, got him. We, yeah. we thought you were a good, one of the good guys. Yeah. And it's like, no, I mean, like, you just look at LeBron, you look at his, you know, um, you know, his track record, you know, his activism, what he stands for. And it's like, look, we're all, we're all human. We're all fallible. But I, I viewed that clip and I was just like, this is, this is part of the sort of the, you know, we we're we're going so far into, you know, wanting to catch somebody and like cancel them. And we're obsessed with like seeing people's downfall mm -hmm. that, you know, it's it's like this is this is what people are talking about. Like, this is what they're making a huge deal about this, like literally five second clip of LeBron at an Usher <laughs> concert where he's like this, just, you know, somebody it's like that. That's that's too much. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's over overreacting at its finest. Oh yeah, but yeah. isn't that the internet? Oh, right, that is yeah. the internet because you can sit behind yeah. a screen. Yeah, just troll people. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, it yeah, reminds me. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, John. I was just gonna say, and that's part of like the weird sort of dynamic that that we have as fans, right, with the public figures is there's a degree of anonymity of like you as just like a twitter handle or whatever but it's like oh lebron as like a human being he's very public he is you know or kanye west for that matter mm -hmm. you know and their their whole personal lives you know are on display in a way that you know the normal person just has no conception of and you know this is where we drew from you know denzel's personal experience and you know what he's he's gone through you know, living in front of the camera for over two decades. But that, you know, that kind of, you know, sort of tension, if you will, between what it means to be a public figure and what it means to be a fan is very interesting. Mm -hmm. And also there's just this, there's a strange dynamic from a fan perspective where like, I'm so used to watching you all the time. I'm so used to reading about you. I know everything about you because your life is now open to the public. And so it's like, I know you. Mm -hmm. So imagine it's like a best friend that you haven't seen for years. You see him walking down the street, you get so excited. Meanwhile, you know, public figure on the other side of this has no clue who you are. Right. You know, and sometimes that I think escapes, you know, the fan perspective. And then on the, on the public figure perspective, it's like every space you go to now, you got eyes on you. As, as John had said, coming from personal experience, you know, not myself and my personal celebrity, but different friends that I've had or been involved with. It was like if we were going to go to the grocery store just to buy food or enjoy our afternoon because, you know, maybe we wanted to go bowling or go karting or whatever. You had to damn near shut down the place 
otherwise we wouldn't even be able to enjoy it mm-hmm. you know and and that's just to say like it's not standing in the lines or not wanting to be around people no i love being around people it's that we wouldn't be able to enjoy it because there would be not only whatever immediate horde there but there would be also people being called to the place you know what i mean mm-hmm. it, and it's just it's just a very weird thing about celebrity culture in general and how we as people you know idolize celebrities as as these figures that live above um it's extremely strange but i don't think there's enough consideration put in on both sides from the fan side and the public figure side and that's the thing like there needs to be awareness on both sides so when you look at a situation you know like lebron or that we've seen similar it's kind of like all of this is a is a is an overreaction mm-hmm. all you never know if that fan was trying to purposely incite a reaction out of lebron you know maybe they're not even a fan maybe they're meant right. to do don't know don't the know motive yeah. and, in a, and in a quick exchange like that you know 10 20 seconds look you could be nobody and you don't know somebody's motives at the grocery store now you're somebody a public figure who we have years upon years of all of this collected data of what you do on a daily basis yeah it'd be real easy to set up somebody like that if they wanted to right so there's you know there's there's this awareness that needs to be there on on select parts there's this understanding there's this like hey we're both humans can't we just interact as humans Right. You know, but sometimes that moment escapes us, especially in, in quick interactions like that. Right. It's not it's not reciprocated both ways. Just because you see somebody on TV or YouTube or whatever it might be, you don't just because you feel like you know them. It's not the same way for them when they you, know, you see them in public like LeBron. He doesn't know you. You can't jump in his face like that and expect him to take a picture with you. And yeah, it's for safety reasons for sure, especially nowadays, knives and guns everywhere. It's like you don't know what his motive was. Do you never know? Yeah, especially the, um, what was her name? Ariana Grande, like that concert. That's like, that reminds me of that situation with uh, in England with Ariana Grande concert with the, the bombs that went off. Like that was a huge concert going on with a lot of people. You don't know who's yeah. in that crowd and LeBron's at an Usher concert and he's walking through the crowd. Is he a target? Is this, you know, what is the situation? So I don't, I don't blame him at all for stiff arming that dude. <laughs> that dude yeah, you it. know, um, <clears throat> something that's important to us, Nick, as storytellers is um, we want this project and the work that we do to have meaning. And I think the meaning that we would look for with you know audiences who see this work um, would be the humanity you know that Denzel just mentioned um, that you know beyond the sort of status of like social media of like who has most followers or you know whether you're a fan or a public figure at the end of the day we're all human beings mm. right and you know we, we're facing so much collectively and you know it's it's we hope that this project and this story, you know, entertains people and engages them, but also maybe, you know, shifts their perspective a little bit and maybe opens their heart a little bit more to like somebody that maybe like looks different than them. Mm -hmm. Um, Denzel and myself, obviously we come from different experiences, different walks of life. you know, but we we came together because we have a love of storytelling and that we, you know, believe in the power of story to, you know, bring people together. And so, um, you know, ultimately that's that's important. You know, it's important to us that we we want this to have, you know, not just be some something that people watch and like, you know, enjoy their candy of popcorn with. But, you know, that it has maybe some deeper significance stays with you. And if you watch this and you have a conversation, you know, with your friends or family and maybe you you consider, you know, that that other perspective that that, you know, um, whether it's a celebrity or not, doesn't matter. The point is, if that's, you know, part of what you experience and you take something away, Mm -hmm. then we feel like we've done our job as storytellers. Right. And. and and, and if they become more um, empathetic or, yeah, more, have more empathy. Yes. For people in that situation, yeah. 
Uh, well, I, I appreciate you guys taking the time to hop on and catch up with me and chat about 5150. Uh, again, we got Denzel Whitaker and John Tree Fry in the house. Um, all the social media stuff will be linked down below on the video. Um, if you're listening to this on the podcast, it is Blackmouth on uh, Instagram, uh, also blackmouth.com for Denzel, uh, and then John Tree Fry uh, on Instagram and other social media as well. And um, and don't forget John Tree Fry's uh, 4wtmedia.com. Uh, is the website for his uh, marketing and, and production company uh, and again 5150 is the film uh, and that is on Argo so go check that out on the app uh, or if you're on a computer you can watch it on the computer as well so again thank you fellas for hopping on and catching up with me I appreciate you <laughs> I love working on the on the film with you guys you guys did a phenomenal job it came out thank so you. well and uh, look forward to the future and what, what happens with it next guys keep me posted yeah thanks My so man. much Thank you. Thank you. Cheers, fellas. Thank you. Cheers.